298 civilians died this week as a result of man's sin. The earth trembles daily. The earth is decaying daily as a result of man's sin. Drought and famine and pestilence lead this world to feel sorrow and face illness and be confronted by death because of man's sin. Something is desperately wrong with our world, according to the scriptures. Our world is broken, our world is defiled, and our world is suffering due to mankind's sinful rebellion. Rebellion against our Creator. This world needs to be restored. War and terrorism, disease and death dominate the news. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it was in the beginning. And when we as Christians see these problems arise in our world, it should remind us of something. It should remind us of how desperately this world needs to be reconciled to its creator. And the good news for us today is that this world will be reconciled in the future. The great reconciler himself will remove the stain of our sin from this planet forever. We see that glorious good news in the text we're going to read this morning in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. So please open your Bibles with me there this morning as I read God's holy and inerrant and hopeful word this morning. Beginning Colossians 1.15, the word of God says this, speaking of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Colossians 1, 15 to 20, especially I think 15 to 18 in particular, we see a declaration of Christ's supremacy, his preeminence. But what we're really getting a glimpse of as we read further in the text is we're seeing the supremacy of the great reconciler of all things. He is the one who has the highest rank above all things. He ranks over creation. He ranks over his church. He is preeminent, it says. Those verses simply declare that Jesus is God. That's really what they're saying. 
These verses declare Christ's deity and his authority over creation and man's salvation. That's really what it's saying. And what I want to do this morning is I want to zoom in on a part of of verse 16 and and then jump to 19 and 20 and tie those together a little bit this morning for you. Because I think it's important for us to see this, how they tie together so that we can understand the glory of Christ, the great creator and reconciler of all things. So look at verse 16. Again, the hymn spoken of here, the antecedent to him is Jesus, or the Son of God, spoken of back earlier in the text. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And that means in the universe and on this planet that we live on. All things, he says, visible and invisible. Now that's speaking of, of things that are on the earth that are, to our eye, invisible microscopic, but it's also talking about heavenly beings, spirits, angels. And he says here that he, is, he has created all things, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That means those who are in control on the earth, or at least appear to be in control on the earth. They were created, just like the heavens and the earth and the visible and invisible, for him. And it says all things were created through him and for him at the last of this verse. Simply asserting that he is deity. That he has created all these things for his own glory. And for the good of his people that he will reconcile for eternity. Think about that for just a minute. Heaven and earth belong to God who gives them to us, his people. Things that are visible and invisible. Angels are ministering spirits of God for us. For his reconciled church. Those who rule and reign on the earth, they are to do so for the good of Christ's church. All things were created through him and for him. Now, when you come further down into verses 19 and 20, we we see that this is a declaration of his glory. He is revealing to us, Paul is revealing to the church at Colossae that that the glory of Christ is seen in the fact that he is the great creator and the great reconciler of all things. All things. Nothing that our Lord and Savior has created will be wasted. It will reflect his holiness and his justice eventually. Those who seem to escape his justice here on earth, will face his judgment after they die, before the judgment throne of God. Those who have been redeemed and reconciled by Christ's blood will inherit the kingdom that Christ has earned, which includes the earth. 19 and 20 and 16, I believe, teach us that, number one, Christ the Creator brings reconciliation through his incarnation. That's my only point this morning. There's really only one point to this whole passage. The one who is the creator reconciles his creation through his incarnation. Because man had corrupted this world, and the second Adam, the last Adam, came to reclaim this world. And he did so in the flesh. 
The glory of the Creator is that He is also our reconciler. That's what we see here. Listen, creation was, was itself marred by man's sin. Creation is not evil. The earth and the goodness of the earth is not evil. But it is corrupted by man's sin and often used for evil. Even the resources that we have are turned around and used to make war and put people to death. But that was a result of the fall. That wasn't the original intention of God. Creation is marred by man. Here's the sad part. Creation now reflects our spiritual condition. Think about that. It reflects what we are. We are fallen, we are broken, we are defiled, and we are dying because of our sin. And so is the earth, the planet. No human can ever save the planet. No mere human. But the God-man will restore the planet to his original intentions and his original condition that he created it in. It wasn't fallen and broken and defiled and dying in the beginning. It was alive. It was life-giving. It was good. It was bountiful and it was perfect. It wasn't broken according to Genesis. Let's look, look at Genesis with me. Genesis 1. According to Genesis 1, this creation was not a place full of death. There was no death in the beginning until man rebelled against God. This world was not broken. It was not defiled. Jesus, or God the Father, rather, here in Genesis, reveals to us that all of creation was good. And it wasn't just good. It was very good before man sinned. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. It was good. The planet was full of life. It was giving life 
It was coming forth and displaying the glory of God, the Creator, who is perfect and full of goodness and life. Creation was seen as God's reflection before Adam and Eve sinned. But now, due to our sins, it looks like us. It's been corrupted. Look on down in verse 20 at the beautiful condition of the earth in which it was originally created. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. No sin, no defilement, all good. Verse 22 says, and God blessed them. That's how we know it's good. He blesses it. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And guess what? God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then he goes on to say that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. That's how we know that male and female was God's blessed, ordained plan. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. It's a, it's a bountiful harvest here. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has The breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good. What's it say? It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything was created for the glory of God. It reflected who he is. The earth was perfect. It was, again, bountiful. It was good. Two pristine humans dwelt upon this entire planet by themselves, and they had everything they ever needed or could ever imagine. And it gave them life. He gave them all these things to nourish them. But when man sinned, all of that ended. Union was broken. Creation was separated from the Creator due to man's sin. Think about it. The thorns came up, making it difficult to harvest what God had promised. 
Creation in the beginning was complete because of God's grace. But when man sinned, it all changed. I want to show you, I want to, do, I want to take you through a survey of, of how it has changed. I want to show you how sin has transformed God's original creation. So, so turn with me to Romans 5, 12. This is the most obvious change from the Garden of Eden that we can see as a result of man's sin. In Romans 5.12, it says that, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Here's how sin primarily changed the planet. It brought forth death. The wages of sin is death. Now go back to Genesis 3, 3.17. It not only changed man and animals by bringing forth death. There was no animal death before Adam's fall. It not only changed the, the, the life of humanity and animals here on the planet, it also changed our relationship to God and to one another. Changed us physically and relationally. In Genesis 3.17 it says, And God said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Not only did, did Adam's sin bring forth death, it also brought forth distress. Distress. The very garden that God created for Adam and Eve to live in was a garden that was completely furnished with fertilizer and, and nourishment, and it produced everything that it needed for their sake before they fell. And after that, the very chemical makeup of the ground changed when man sinned. Thorns and thistles grew up, making it difficult for man to cultivate food from his own garden, making it difficult for us to live, making it distressful for man to make a living for his family. It doesn't just change us physically. It doesn't just change us in our Labors, it changes us inwardly as well. The fall of Adam changed our entire condition. It transformed all of the original beauty of God's creation into something that is not only dying and distressed, but also despairing. Look at Job 14. Job 14. Job 14, 1 describes our desperate condition due to the fall of Adam. In the fall of all humanity. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. And this is so true. There is despair in this world. Man's life is full of difficulties, trials, and hardships. There are few days due to man's sin. Our lives are even cut shorter than what they were originally. 
and they're filled with despair. That's why we hear of so many suicides, so many senseless deaths, so many desperate people taking the lives of others because they want to be happy, so they take from someone else to make themselves they feel happy, yet they find despair. It doesn't only bring death and distress and despair. It also brings desolation. Psalm 107 tells us that. Man's sin brought forth desolation. It changed the landscape of the planet. Psalm 107, 33. It says in verse 33 that God turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Why? Because of the evil of its inhabitants. He brings forth desolation because of our sin. And eventually, God will bring forth the destruction of this planet we live on. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. This is how sin ultimately transforms this creation. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief... And then the heavens, the universe, will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It will be judged not by a flood of water, but by a flood of fire. He will consume and destroy this planet purge it in judgment because of man's sin. Now, death, distress, despair, desolation, destruction, we all know that that's the world that we live in. We can all testify to those truths, not only globally, but personally, can we not? Sin will destroy relationships. Sin will desolate even our own health. If we treat our bodies in a sinful way, it will destroy our bodies. Sin, if we focus on pursuing unrighteousness rather than God's wisdom and grace and truth, it will cause us to despair of life. Sin brings distress upon our minds, anxiety. And sin will eventually destroy our physical bodies. We live in a fallen world. Though we are redeemed, our bodies are still flesh. They're not glorified yet. All of creation now suffers because of man's sinful rebellion in the beginning and our ongoing rebellion here presently. Our rebellion is against our Creator. When you read Scripture, you believe and learn that the curse of God fell upon Adam. And the curse of God brought... Upon Adam and all his posterity, a negative effect. All of Adam's posterity has been transformed and the globe has been transformed negatively by man's sin. Our planet, according to Scripture, is headed for destruction. All those who do not repent and believe upon Jesus Christ, all humanity 
that does not do that is headed for destruction as well. The world is corroding and the world is dying. And we know as believers that this needs to be reconciled. And again, a mere man or mere humans can't reconcile the earth's condition. Only the creator can reconcile creation and what man has ruined. So when we come to Colossians 1, 16 and 19 to 20, Paul's revealing something here that's important to us as Christians. Something that we should rejoice about as believers. He's giving us some good news and good news to the Colossians. He's declaring that Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the creator and the reconciler of all things. You know, sometimes we read this text and we, we sort of jump to verses 21, 22, and we think, yes, he's my reconciler. He's my savior. But Paul's making a, a greater point here. He is the reconciler. He is the savior. He is the sustainer. And he is the creator of all things. All things that were corrupted by man will be reclaimed by Christ, the God-man. And used for his glory. The earth was made to display the glory of God to us, his children. It shows us his goodness and his care for us. And Christ loves us so much that he will reclaim that prize so that we can see his goodness on a new heaven or in a new heaven and on a new earth. Paul's declaring that Jesus is supreme over all things, including the restoration of what we see. All things in the universe and on earth will be reclaimed by King Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Because sometimes this world gets you down. I mean, just watch the news this week. It is a desperate, dying, destructive world we live in. My kids are growing up in it. Do I have any hope for them? Yes, I do. The reconciler is coming. He will make all things new because of the blood of his cross. It doesn't just have the power to save us. It has the power to claim what belongs to him in the first place. Look at Colossians 1.19. I just want to emphasize who it is that's reclaiming all these things. Paul emphasizes who it is that is reclaiming all these things and why he has the ability and the power to do so. Verse 19 says, speaking of Jesus, For in Jesus, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's simply saying Jesus is the creator. He is deity. He's declaring Jesus to be God in human flesh here. Here's what the Greek rendering would be translated into if we kind of exploded it a little bit, brought it out in a little more fullness. Here's what it would say in verse 19. It says that that through Jesus, or in Jesus, the totality of all divine power has permanently taken up abode. The totality of all divine power has taken up permanent residence in the one who bled and died on a cross, the God-man. The false teachers were denying this in Colossae. They were saying that creation and anything that's of the material world is evil. 
And Paul is turning it on its head saying, no, you, you need to understand something. Even creation is not evil. And the creator who actually started this whole thing is coming in the flesh and dying in their place and restoring all things material. And his power is supreme. And it dwells in him eternally. He's, he's saying that in verse 19. And in verse 20, he's saying he's not only the creator, the deity that created all this, he's also the, the savior of all these things. He is the reconciler of all these things. Verse 20 says that Christ, the creator, will reconcile to himself, what? All things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? Well, he's divine, he's supreme, he's sovereign. He could have just said, be done, just like he did in the beginning. But that wasn't his plan. His plan was for his people, his saved saints, his elect, to see the glory of his reconciling power in the flesh. So Christ, the creator, came into creation. The creator came to reconcile us personally. He came to reconcile what man has ruined by becoming a man and reclaiming it in his own time. He became like us, yet without sin. The Creator Himself brings back creation to its original condition, according to what we're seeing here. The Creator enters into this creation. He takes on flesh and He stands in our place. He is incarnate God. That means He had flesh like us. He is our substitute. And as you read through this text, through the, the rest of Colossians, you see that this, this one who took on flesh, this creator who took on flesh, he came to make peace between God and man, to restore or reconcile all things. What did God and man have in the beginning? They had perfect unity and peace on the earth. Peace on earth and goodwill among men, that's a promise for the elect. It's a promise that will come to pass through Christ's reconciling work. Peace on the earth. The earth is not an insignificant part of God's creation. He reclaims it. He, he uses it to reflect His divine attributes here for us to tangibly partake of. It's for those who repent and trust in His Son that this earth was created. Golgotha existed for us on this planet for a purpose. So we could see the love of God made manifest physically. Colossians tells us it was by the blood of Jesus' cross, implying that he bled and died like a human. Isn't this astounding? In, in one passage, you have Jesus being described as the creator of all things, sustainer of all things, and the sacrificial substitute for his people to wash away their sins and reclaim their original condition. His blood restores what Adam lost. His blood restores peace between God and man. He reverses the fall. This, this passage testifies of how His incarnate love transforms not only us now, but all things in the future for His glory. When you look at verse 20, it uses the word, Paul uses the word, the Holy Spirit uses the word, reconcile. It says he reconciles creation, heaven, whether on earth or in heaven, all things, creation. The word reconcile generally means this. 
It means to exchange hostility for friendship. In verse 20, what it's implying is that Jesus will restore creation to the state from which it had been fallen. And the state from which it has fallen. What it's saying is, basically, Jesus came to thoroughly change things back to the way they were in the beginning. His intention and reconciliation in this passage is the restoration of peace between God and man and the display of that peace here on the earth. The restoration of a relationship between God and and man, we know, as I read earlier, was broken by Adam's sin, by our sin. And a restoration of what Adam did could not be brought about by another man, by himself, by his own power. We needed full restoration. One man can't undo the effects of Adam's sin. Only the God-man can come and do this. He can conquer sin perfectly as the sovereign one, yet humanly as our divine substitute. This restoration has to be brought to us through Christ's work in the flesh. Scripture teaches us that He is the great reconciler because of this. He's our great high priest. Christ alone in the flesh obeyed all of God's commandments that Adam failed to obey, right? He, from the heart, obeyed the rule of God, the law of God. He honored God with His entire being. Christ alone in the flesh, in the flesh, incarnate, overcame Satan's temptations in the wilderness that Adam could not overcome in paradise. Christ alone then not only overcame those things and obeyed those things, Christ also went on to absorb something. Christ in the flesh absorbed the wrath of God in our place personally on the cross so that He could show us that peace was made through His efforts, through His love, and He'll display that peace eternally not in some heavenly abode on a cloud with harps, but on this planet that he reclaims by his grace and for his glory. You know, your bodies are also important, by the way. You know, we think of the body, you know, being corrupted by sin and we're ready to get rid of it and enter into God's presence. But listen, you're going to have a reconstituted body without sin, but it's going to be your body. It's going to be you without sin. So it's really not you, but it is you. Okay? The body matters. We're the imago Dei, the image of God. We reflect His glory. And in the, in the future, in the new creation, His beautiful, great and gracious work will be reflected through His creatures, which is what we are. We were created to be sustained on this planet and to rejoice over the bounty of God's grace on this planet. He's going to give us that. But I think he also gives us the heavens. I don't understand how that works. But it says all things in heaven. I don't know that if that means we can explore the heavens in the future. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I just know that everything that we see now is flawed by sin, yet it's still beautiful to our eyes. But what will it look like when Christ reclaims it? It'll be endless glory. And the beauty of God's nature will be seen all throughout creation. It will be seen because God the Son became our substitute to reclaim it for us.
Here's, here's my hope. I hope this is your hope. This is my assurance. Let me change that word hope to assurance. I, when the Bible talks about hope, we're talking about assurance. Okay? My hope is that one day this defiled world will be gloriously restored for the glory of King Jesus, my reconciler, my Savior. I'm going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy it. But ultimately, I want His glory to be seen throughout the earth. I want the Creator to be praised by all creation. That's what we want right now. That's why we evangelize the lost right now. Because even in our broken condition, even with our our flawed flesh, we can give praise to the God and Creator of all things because of Christ's personal relationship with us. And we want others to see His goodness and His bounty that He's given us through His reconciling work on the cross. And my hope is, my assurance is, that the earth will eventually see this. The earth will eventually reflect God's glory once again. His his fullness will be shining throughout all of the earth just as it did in Eden. Reconciliation of all things comes, though, as a result of something that the God-man did for us. Creation is not the main purpose. The glory of Christ is the main purpose in His work. He bled and He died as a man in our place to reconcile sinners, to reconcile our sin debt back to God. He paid our penalty for us so that He could restore our relationship to our Father forever. Look what it says in Colossians 1.21. This is what it's declaring. It's declaring that we need to be reconciled to God, the Creator, so that we could see the glory of His work in creation in the future. And so that we could praise Him eternally because of what He's done for us spiritually here. Verse 21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled what? He says reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. You were created for Him. His glory. He reconciles us back to God to reveal His authority, His power, His cleansing work that changes defiled and dying sinners into the image of God so we can honor Him on the earth and in heaven because of His great sacrifice. Because we were alienated, He is now reconciling all things, even creation to testify to His goodness. He reconciles all things, it says, by the blood of His cross. It means He reconciles all things through His incarnate work. What Paul's doing is he's giving us in the Colossians a revelation of Jesus' supremacy. This text reveals that Christ's human sacrifice is what overcame the sin of Adam that brought God's curse on the world. And Paul's teaching us that that Christ reveals the power of His incarnation through this global reconciliation of all things. The reason I even bring this up today, and we're talking mainly about reconciliation in this text, is this. If, If this is the one who saved us, this is the one who reclaims all things to Himself, how should this affect us? 
Do we have small thoughts of Jesus or large thoughts of Jesus? Do we, we cling to our salvation because of what He brings to us or because of how great He is? Do we see the one who is the head of the body, the church, as preeminent in all of our life and all that we do? Do you realize that the creator, the sustainer, came to you personally and died in your place sacrificially? And he's going to keep you for eternity? I can't even fathom the depth of that great love and that mercy and the glory that he deserves as a result of something that we have to sing throughout eternity because we don't have time here on earth. Go back to... Well, no, stay where you're at. Let me just say this. Paul, Paul gives us hope here, I think. I think this is, a, this is a hopeful message to the Colossians. The Colossians are being taught by false teachers that they had to take Jesus as a kind of a, 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 an inoculation or a shot of Jesus and then do these things over here on this side to, to make their, their salvation really sustainable and productive. They had to add some works to their life. And, and he's saying, look, let me just tell you something. The one who, sustain, who saves you will sustain you. And he'll even reconcile all things in the future for you. You need no one else. All you need is Christ. It's through his substitutionary work that all things will be reclaimed for his glory and our good. The earth and, and all those Christ died for, will be eventually reconciled to the Creator forever. That's what he's saying here. Just think about this. What he's saying is what, what Adam destroyed in his sin, Christ has reclaimed. He's reconciled this problem, the separation that not only separated us from God spiritually, but even physically. And you read Genesis, it speaks of how that God came down in the cool of the day and walked with Adam. He walked with Adam. I believe that's a pre-incarnate picture of Christ coming down and fellowshipping, communing with Adam. We will have that one day. We will be in His presence. We will see the intended purpose of the earth in its fullness in that day. Everything we eat, and we will eat in heaven, in the heavenly state. We will eat food that He created, and it will always be good and always nourishing. He'll feed us Himself. Every bite we take will be for His glory. Every taste bud that comes alive in its perfection will scream out the glory of God in thanksgiving. The tongues that He put in our mouths will be used the right way eventually. We'll not only taste things right, we'll say things right. We'll give Him the glory He deserves because He's promised to restore all things for the glory of His name, for Himself. Look over at Revelation 21. It speaks of how the earth will be reconciled, what the earth will look like when it's reconciled by our glorious Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 21 Verse 1. And, okay, when we read this, we can only imagine. All right? We can only imagine. We, 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 we trust in the revelation. We can imagine what it will be like. But, man, I, as I read this, I long for this day. 
and I hope you do too. John writes here in Revelation 21.1 that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is, this is the reclaiming of Eden. God walking with us, not just in the cool of the day, but all of the day. Not just at a distance, but personally according to this because of Christ. Verse 4. He, oh, wait a minute, saints. It doesn't say that tears are going to be wiped away in heaven. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's you. Every tear will be wiped away by the incarnate hand of Jesus Christ Himself. His scars will be in your face, wiping away the salty tears that Adam's sin brought forth in your life. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Sin is gone. It is eradicated. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. God and man will once again dwell together in perfect harmony through Christ's victory. Christ's blood that Paul mentions in Colossians 1.20, Christ's blood promises that true peace with God will be restored on the earth, or in the new earth where righteousness dwells. The dwelling place of God, it says here, will be once again with man. There will be no sin, no separation. We will have complete and unhindered full communion with our God forever. The thing that we long for as Christians when we pray, when we read, when we worship together with the saints, we will have in its fullness, in the bounty of His grace, surrounded by His glory, on this new planet, this new earth. And it says, if you notice in Revelation 21-2, that He saw the holy city, the heavenly city coming down, and I'm not sure how this works, but it seems like he's describing heaven coming to earth. Heaven touching earth. Heaven is a place. Not, not the universe I'm talking about here, but the actual dwelling place of God. Heaven, the city of heaven, coming to earth. We won't be distanced from our God any longer. We'll be in full communion because of Christ's reconciliation. Christ will reconcile creation 
for his reconciled children. That's what he's telling us. That's what Paul's telling the Colossians. Don't worry about the false teachers. Just know this, the the one who created all things will reclaim this brokenness. He'll make it right. And he'll do so for his people who are alienated by their sins from God. What we need to understand, I think, as we, as we study the Bible in general, but in Colossians in particular, but in general, we need to, to understand that Jesus is to be magnified in our lives, glorified daily, not just for what he's done for us in the past, but for what he's promised us in the future, and what he accomplished here on earth in our place. We know, according to Scripture, that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. It's in 1 John. He came to cleanse all of his creation. In Christ, we know this, that there is the death of death for those who believe in him and repent of their sins. Something to think about is this. Our greatest enemy in life is death because of our sin. Sin is bringing forth death throughout the planet. This is a a deadly planet. All of you die. You may die today. Our death is coming. It's imminent unless Christ comes and takes us home. Yet death is not really our final enemy because Christ has victory over death itself. Christ is the death of death. On the cross, think about this. On the cross, death sucked in death from the wounds of Christ's flesh. The result of Adam's sin and our sin fell upon Christ and he absorbed that death for us. It is no longer to be feared by us. We'll be given complete and perfect life in Christ because Jesus himself took our place. Jesus was marred by our sin like this earth is marred by our sin. He died on this planet because this planet is dying by our sin. And he died to pay our sin debt so he could reclaim all things that belong to him. God's penalty fell on him instead of us. He hung on the cross in our place condemned so that he could reconcile all things that belong to him. He could remove the stain of sin eternally. And he did it humanly. He conquered for Adam fell. He personally conquered sin completely, eternally. Jesus on the cross and the Jesus of Colossians, as we see, who bled and died, this Jesus was crowned on the cross with our curse. He was crowned with our curse so that God could place the crown of his love back on Adam's fallen race to reconcile us. He was crowned with our curse so that he could restore our fellowship and reveal his glory and his beauty in creation once again in the future. Colossians teaches us that Christ is the creator who brings reconciliation through incarnation. There is no God like this. There is no other God but God. All the false deities of this world are flawed, but our God in his perfection took on flesh to become our substitute, to reconcile all things personally for his glory and for our good. 
In Colossians 1.15, let me conclude with this. It's 15 to 20. It reminds us of something. It reminds us, as I read this text, it reminds me that in Christ, according to verse 19, in Christ dwells all the power to restore a fallen world. Think about how much havoc has been just brought forth on this world because of one man's sin. Yet Christ is greater. His work is greater. His atonement is greater than Adam's failure. All the power to restore this broken world dwells in Christ. And more importantly, in Christ dwells all the power to restore the sinners who caused the havoc on this world. All the power to restore us eternally dwells in Christ. I think that's a more amazing restoration than that of creation. We cause the problems in the world. And He can even change that. He can even transform us. So let me just end with this. Um, Have you dwelt on this? Have you really seriously thought about this? Have you thought about the fact that you were created for something greater than the next 20 years here on earth? Have you thought about it? Does it create joy in you knowing that God has promised you a future life, a future promise of being in His presence? Is that more important to you than anything else on or in life? Does it create joy? Does it move you? Does it move you evangelistically? Let me me end with one text. One text more. 2 Peter 3. Here's, Here's what I believe is the purpose of eschatological scriptures that talk about the future, the end times, and the purpose of those things. We are to be a people who knows that the promise is ours, and we are to live in light of that promise now here on earth. It should move us evangelistically. That's what eschatology should do for us. We're not talking about escapism. We're here on the planet by God's divine decree for a purpose until he calls us home. But knowing that he has a promised home isn't just something we look forward to so we can escape all the pain and despair and sorrow on the planet. No, we need to understand that we are here for a purpose to declare his goodness and his grace in light of that promise to those who are lost. That's really, every time you find an eschatological verse in the New Testament, it's going to point to your responsibility as Christians to evangelize the lost. That's why they're here. That's why these texts are here. 2 Peter 3.10 It says, again, a reminder that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's the day of God's judgment. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed, judged. Okay, so what's the purpose of him telling us that? Well, he tells us in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt and they, as they burn. But according to His promise, according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, based on this promise, beloved, since you are waiting for these. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. He says, look, I want you to be very aware that the day of the Lord is coming. But in light of that, I want you to know that you have a mission. You have a mission. You have the assurance that heaven and earth will be reclaimed and reconciled and you're going to be in it. But in light of that, go tell others about the creator and reconciler of your soul. This is, this is our reason for existing on the earth. If, if our life belongs to Christ, that's what it means. We are here to serve King Jesus until he comes and then rejoice in his victory when he comes. He is our great creator and reconciler. And he promises that he will not fail to do what he's promised us. But we should live in light of that promise daily. Let's pray for grace to do that. Father God, we thank you for your grace, for your truth. We thank you for Christ, the great creator and reconciler of our souls and of creation. We thank you for the promise and the assurance that in the future, this creation will be reclaimed by Christ's victory. Sin will be purged and righteousness will dwell here. And our personal incarnate Lord and Savior will wipe away our tears he will be with us in unhindered communion. And we will glorify you without hindrance from sin. We will see your glory. We will rejoice in your glory. We will taste your glory in this new heaven and new earth that you create for your people to see your reflection for eternity. Help us today to live in light of that promise and share this good news with the lost around us. In Christ's name.